I don't want to um, alarm anybody, but uh, Christmas Eve is like this time next week. This time next week, all the things that, are, that you have left to do will have to be done before Christmas gets here. Um, if you didn't feel any stress or anxiety in me saying that, you're probably a man. Um, because we know that there's probably women who have done a ton already to get ready for Christmas and to buy presents, and there is still yet a ton to do. And the men in the room are like, I still got seven days, like five days before I have to start thinking about what to buy. Um, well, men in the room, if that's you, I, I'm ahead of you. I bought my first present yesterday. And so uh, I'm, I, I know I'm feeling like a rock star. I'm feeling like I'm on top of the game. I'm I'm, I'm ready. One present down, a couple to go. Uh, man, isn't it great to be a man at Christmas? Uh, in, in, all, in all seriousness, you know, it's, it's this, this time of the year where it's like crunch time, and we're only a few days away, and uh, we, there's a ton to do uh, that we can really be in danger of missing uh, the meaning of Christmas, Me, miss uh, why we celebrate Christmas. We can miss the worship of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. Um, you know, in, in our world, in our culture, it's this uh, uh, materialistic society and our consumerism like just drives so much of our world and our life. And it is so bled over into our celebrative Christmas. I mentioned earlier, 80% of our community will, will celebrate Christmas, roughly. And what, what do we know? 80% of our community isn't Christian, right? 80% of our, our, our community isn't saying, hey, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but yet we uh, have adopted this holiday. And so it comes in, it really dilutes the meaning of Christmas. And so for those in the church and uh, those in our church, I, I think that we, we come into Christmas and we're going, man, we're going to make Christmas about Jesus. And we're going to celebrate the advent of Christ. And when we bring out our advent devotionals and we do the FDP and we, we work at it. We work to, to keep the center of our homes Christ and to, to let our kids know this is why we celebrate Christmas. But long about right now, long about crunch time, about the last week, we stand in real danger of, of missing it. And do you know that when we celebrate the advent of Christmas, the coming of Christ, that it really also helps us point our minds to the second coming of Christ, the second advent. Some people only think there's only one advent. No, there's actually two advents. There's the, the first advent of Christ is coming at birth, but then there's this promise that we see over and over and over in Scripture that he's going to return. And so we also celebrate the return of Christ. So, man, if in our busyness... We can miss celebrating the, the very first advent of Christ. Man, I think in our busyness, we can also miss looking for the return of Christ. Today's text um, is in Luke chapter 17. And just by God's sovereign plan of how it has been as we have gone through the book of Luke now a little over a year, we're, we're hitting 17 where in this passage... Uh, the Holy Spirit, through Luke, is going to show us that we need to be looking for the second advent of Christ. So we 
go through today's text as we work through it. Here's the big truth that I want us to walk away with. At the end of it, this is what I want us to remember. Celebrating the first advent of Christ helps us to prepare for the second advent of Christ. When we, when we hear the story of Jesus being born to the Virgin of Mary, when we see the story of the birth of Jesus, it should also remind us that Jesus is going to return. So we're going to be picking back up where we left off last week in verse 20 of Luke 17. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor would they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field... Not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, there is a lot going on in this passage, right? Um, some of you just had like images of the movie Left Behind uh, in your head, right? You're like, oh, goodness, like, oh, what was his name? What was that actor's name? He's Kirk Cameron, right? You saw, I read that and you, you saw Kirk Cameron. Uh, some of you are old enough, and don't look it up, don't go back, don't cause yourself that trauma, it's not worth it. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, I believe, a, an, an inaccurate representation of what will happen at the end of time. But we've got to go through, and we've got to work through this. And remember, as we're working through it, that the, the advent of the first coming of Christ is going to help us understand and see the advent of the second coming. So, the Pharisees asked the question, now, I don't know that this is like necessarily in, in a chrono, chronological order that as they were going on the way, I think this is where Luke is, has inserted, inserted this story. He's showing us uh, what he's teaching us, these principles about uh, the kingdom of God. And so they ask, 
where's the kingdom? And Jesus' answer, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Here's my first big idea. Is that the kingdom of God arrived at the first advent of Jesus Christ. They're, they're asking this question, when will the kingdom of God come? come? And, and here's, the, here's the answer. It came at the first advent of Jesus. The Pharisees, uh, in asking that question, we've got we've to look at their and examine their question. What were they looking for? They were looking for a physical kingdom, the kingdom of David. You see, when the Pharisees, when they look back and they re recount their history as Israelites, they look back of the establishment that we see in the conquest where uh, through Joshua we see the giving of the different territories that established Israel with Jerusalem being the capital. We see the, the coming of uh, the, the kingdom in Saul, but we see this really good king in David. And when when they think back and they think glory days of Israel. They have to look all the way back to the second king. And you have, you have Saul, the first king, David, the second king, the good king, his son Solomon, who was wise but really put the thing on a bad trajectory. And then you have years and years and years and years of uh, bad kings. And then you're going to get to a point where they're exiled. And they're no longer able to just stay there. Uh, they have, to, they have to move off, and then they come back, and they try to reestablish, and there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and there's, there's tons of things going on within the kingdom. And so at this point, yeah, they're in Jerusalem, but the Israelites don't have control. They don't have a king. They, Rome is under control. It, they're under Roman rule. And so they're physically looking uh, they're looking for a physical kingdom. They're looking for a political kingdom to rise up. And Jesus was talking about something different. He was talking about a spiritual kingdom. Now, so often, we make this same mistake in today's world that we uh, look for the physical when God has promised us the spiritual. So, we start looking at the kingdom of God, this question that they ask, will the kingdom of God come? Over 30 times in the book of Luke is this mentioned. And for most of us, maybe the most familiar place that we would think is the Lord's Prayer. What is the Lord's Prayer? It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, the, the basic definition that we can, we can see from the Bible, of what, what is the kingdom of God? The basic definition is this. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. And so even when you go back to the, the Garden of Eden, what do you see as God developed his, the, the Garden of Eden? You see his kingdom. You see, it's God's people. It's Adam and Eve. It, they're in God's place. Right? They're in the Garden of Eden. They're under his rule. Until what? Until they sin, and sin entered the world. And from that point on, no matter where we look in the Old Testament, we look at God's kingdom, we see this fractured, sinful uh, kingdom that's a fallen kingdom. And so they're looking for the restoration of the kingdom. We can go throughout the Old Testament, we can plot it, we can see it. We can see that it was never what God had intended to be in the garden. And so they're looking for the restoration of the kingdom. And so they're, 
this is what Jesus is saying in this moment. He's saying, I'm here to get my people. I'm in this place. I'm making my way to Jerusalem. I'm making my way to the holy city to redeem that people. And it is going to be under my rule. And it's not just going to be now. Because my kingdom will come and my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, he's moving. He's, he's working. We're seeing this announcement that the kingdom is coming. That it's his. That he's going to rule. He's going to reign. This is what he says to the disciples. He says, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there. Look here. And then he gives this warning. Do not go out or follow them. So you're, you're going to be in the days coming where you're going to look and you're, you're, you're going to want to go, where is the kingdom? It, will have, it, 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 it won't be there in front of you. Here's the next big idea that I want you to see. Is that the kingdom of God is going to be furthered at the second advent of Jesus Christ. You know, for us, we live in what is called the already, not yet. We're living, we, we live between the advents of Christ. Through the, his, his first coming as a baby and his second return. Uh, just as we see in the Old Testament, we see it prophesied that Jesus will come in the form uh, uh, of, of a man. We also see in the Old Testament that there's this prophesied second coming. Then in the New Testament, post the first coming of Jesus, over and over and over, we see uh, this, this prophecy, this talking, even Jesus himself talking about how he will return for his people. So we live in this place where, yes, Christ has come, but we also live in the place where Christ is going to return again. And we so often miss that. We so often uh, leave that out. We don't think about that he's going to come back. So we live in the already, not yet. We're living in this in-between time. Here's the next big idea. Don't let your desires lead you to follow false prophets. Listen to what it says. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you'll not see it. Jesus has just said, I'm here with you now. But he's letting them know, there's going to be a day when I, I, I'm not with you. Jesus knows he's going to be crucified. He knows he's going to be, he's going to be on, on earth after his resurrection. He's going to be raised from the dead. He's going to be here 40 days. And after 40 days, we, knew, we know that as Pentecost, he's going to ascend into heaven. And so he knows he's going to be gone. And he knows after his resurrection and his ascension, they're going to long... For him, They're going to be long for the days of, with, with the Son of Man, with Jesus. They will have experienced this uh, real kingdom, and they're going to be longing for it. And he gives them a warning. In those days, after I've, been res after I've ascended into heaven, there are going to be people who come and say, Look over there. Maybe that's the kingdom being established. Oh, look over there. There's, like, there's, this, there's this leader over there, this political leader over there. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe that's going to be the return. Is that another Messiah? And he says, do not follow them. 
Um, I think that there's often a right desire within us to see the return of Christ. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but, but maybe you've at some point in your life experienced some sort of just horrible tragedy. Maybe you didn't experience personally, but maybe you just saw it on TV. You, you, watch, you turn on the news and you see some sort of natural disaster that's happened and it's horrible. Or you see some sort of war that's starting. You see the dangers, uh, you, you see the, the, the horrific things that are happening in war. You're seeing that, man, ha Hamas has done this thing and killed uh, these babies. And then this is happening in retaliation. And you look at it and you just see the brokenness of the world. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a biblical response that we can have when we see the atrocities of the world. And the biblical response is to cry out this, this simple term, Maranatha. It means, come, Lord, come. So often I'll see something, go, go, something happen and I, my cry is like, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I have this desire in my heart that says, come, make all things new. Come, fix what is broken. Come, take care of this mess, this disaster that's happening around us in the world. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And I think that sometimes that desire to see that can cause us to, to get caught up and to miss what Jesus and his kingdom is really doing. We, we, want, um, we, we want to see the return of Christ. We want to see Jesus make all things new. The danger becomes that we so want to see it that when we get looking for signs and looking for teachers in the wrong places. Now, I, I, wanna, I, you know, I often want to speak to different people in the room. And I want to speak to the older people in the room just for a second. I think this is more of a danger for the older people in the room than it is the younger people in the room. And I'll tell you why. This is just my observation as somebody who, who considers themselves older but would like to be a younger whippersnapper. Um, I, I don't see people younger than me getting caught up in end-time teachings, right? I, I don't. I see it older people. And as I shepherd our church, I know our church, most of the time, if there's a false teacher that's going to grab somebody's attention about the end times and worried about the end times, it typically is somebody older, not somebody younger. And so, just let me speak to this for a minute. I think this is, this is important for us to understand. Um, they're saying, look here, look there. He's saying, do not go out or follow them. There, there are, are plenty of people uh, in our culture, even in our town, especially on the internet, uh, that, that all the time are looking at the different signs and the different things, and they're trying to interpret them through Scripture, and they twist Scripture and go, oh, look, this is that happening. This is that happening. If this doesn't happen, then that's not going to happen. Um, and they, they're trying, often they'll use passages of Scripture that aren't prophecy, and have already been fulfilled and already happened. And they'll try to then manipulate them to think this is talking about something that's coming in the, the future. And so they'll take things from the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, different places. That they really have no clue what they're talking about. And they'll twist them to scare you to get you to follow them. 
and they believe it. They're not. They're not. I don't. They're. They're. They're not. I don't think there's like necessarily uh, a bad thing in their heart where they're just trying to take your money. No, I think they they believe it. They're trying to interpret the times and the and the signs, and and they're truly worried and concerned about it. You guys remember Y2K? Um, that happened in 2000. I love the, the, the college. This is always weird for the college row because it's like, you know, it feels like we're old enough to remember Y2K, but we weren't born yet. Uh, you're right. You weren't, weren't born yet. It was wild. It was a wild time. Uh, here's, here's what happened. Here's what happened at Y2K, the turn of the century. Um, a, a, bunch of, a bunch of people who were... And I want you to understand, this wasn't like just the conspiracy theory nuts. This was like a good portion of the culture. Like a good morning. It's like when the clock turns midnight and the year goes to 2000, the computers aren't going to be able to handle it. They're only programmed to go to uh, 1,999. They're not going past that year. And when that happens, all these computers are going to shut down. There's going to be airplanes that are going to be mid-flight. They're going to crash and burn. They're going to fall. They're, we're going to lose the power grid. Um, we, we, better, we better prep. We better get our buckets. If, if that was you, don't be embarrassed, right? There's a lot of people, okay? I'm not, I'm not picking on you. Um, I had a neighbor, my, my, one of my best friends growing up, his dad. I mean, his dad was a prepper. And so he was ready for Y2K. He, he goes out and he buys one of these like metal containers that we have back here, like a Connex shipping container. He buries it in the side of the mountain on their property. And inside of that, there was more food and guns than you could need if you were fighting the next world war. <laughs> and then I had my dad. My dad was just so confident that it wasn't going to happen. Like, that's the dumbest thing ever. You know, all you're hearing about, it's the dumbest thing ever. My dad was just so confident. And I thought, like, well, if my dad's wrong, I know, I know where the neighbors live. You know, like, <laughs> they're prepped enough for all of us, right? And, uh, man, that night, that night happened. And uh, I, I, I had to, I, had, I actually had to work that night. And so New Year's Day started that day. And so here I work up to midnight. And, um... It happens, and, and I always listen to this radio station, uh, B93.3. And as soon as it turned midnight, the DJ put on the song, It's the End of the World, As I Know It, I Feel Fine. You know that? And that radio station played that song for 12 hours straight. One song. They played it all the way to noon. I'm not making this up. That's, that really happened. They played it all the way to noon. And the fact that the radio station was playing, I went, well, we got power. You know? Like, it obviously wasn't true. So after, let me just ask this question. After Y2K, did we have reason to trust the same people? Or should we looked at them and went, I'm not following them. I'm wrong. They were wrong. They were stupid. But do you, what do you think we did? Do you think there are people who just bought into the next conspiracy theory? Yeah. When the conspiracy theory is un, unfulfilled, they just buy into the next one. There's some people who, who've never met a conspiracy theory that they don't like. Right? Well, it, it's the same thing is true when we've got this false prophet and they're predicting the end of the world. That over and over and over they're looking, they go, if this thing that happens, you better watch, then this is going to happen. So what happens when this thing happens and then this thing doesn't happen? You know what that makes somebody when they, when they make a prophecy and the prophecy doesn't come true? You know what it makes them? A false prophet. Right? He's saying, don't follow them. Don't get caught up in it. 
Here, here's my biggest concern with people who, who and this is, this is what I would tell the older people in the room, like getting caught up in end-time predictions, following teachers that all they do is talk about the end times. They're not making disciples of Jesus. They're not. They're making, they're, they're making schizophrenic people who are worried that the, the world's going to crush down and fall around them at any moment. And so take your eyes off of worry and place it on the one who's the hope and perfecter of our faith. Believe that he will return. The other side of this coin is that we think that he won't return, that we don't, don't ever think about the second coming. That's the other, that's the other danger. But, but take, your, take your eyes. Don't follow them. Because listen, here's the next big truth. When Christ comes again, we're all going to know it. You're going to know it. This is not like left behind, where it's like, oh, people vanish. Where'd they go? Wonder what could be happening. Nothing's happening. Um, that's not how it's going to be. He says, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. And so, here's this, here's this truth. We're, we're going to know it. In Revelation 19, um, this, is, this is verse 11. There's this this beautiful picture that's painted, and I say beautiful, it's somewhat scary. Uh, if you're not a follower of Christ, it's, it's scary. There's this, this picture pa- uh, is painted of what it's going to be like when Christ returns. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many uh, diadems, and he has names written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and in the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heavens arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, and with with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I think if you see that, you're going to know what's happening. I don't think you're going to go, what's that? I think you're going to go, it's Jesus. He's coming. It's happening. Other places in scripture, it's described. And again, it's described in such a way that we are going to know what happens if we are still here, if the Lord tarries and, and, and comes in our life, if he doesn't tarry and comes in our life, we are going to know it. But remember, we live in the already not yet. Jesus is saying, there's, there's still things. I'm already come, but I'm, I'm not coming back yet. There's still things that have to happen. And he's going to let us in on a clue of that. He's, let, he's about to let us in on the clue that he must suffer and he must die. That the point of his life is to go to the cross of Calvary. That he's going to live this perfect and spotless life that, that people are going to um, unjustly hate him, unjustly persecute him, unjustly uh, punish him, reject him, crucify him on the cross. So listen to what, what he says. But first, he must suffer many things. And be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. So, remember what he's saying. They're going to reject me. Just as it was in the days of Son of 
Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Here's the next big idea that I want you to get, is that when Christ returns, his judgment and punishment will be just. We read Revelation 19. We see this picture of Jesus coming back on this white horse called Faithful and True. And he's bringing a sword, and, and he's going to come get his children, those who are, who are just, who are found right, righteousness. It's just very similar to what it looked like at the day of Passover in the Old Testament, right? That those who are under the blood of Jesus are going to be saved, and those who aren't are going to experience his justice. When Christ returns, his judgment and punishment will be just. He, he gives us two pictures from the Old Testament there. He gives us Noah. So here... Uh, Genesis chapter 7, you have the story of Noah and the ark. And this is what you have, that, that after the Garden of Eden, the people had so rebelled. They were so corrupt. They so hated God that as he looked out upon all the people of the earth, he could only find one man, Noah, who was righteous. One man and his family who still had a heart for God. And so, God has a plan to deliver justice, to recalibrate things, to reset things, to make things right. And he, and he, and he goes to Noah, and he shows Noah, this is what's going to happen. And Noah, you need to build an ark. And here's how you're going to build that ark. And you're going to get your family on it. You're going to get everybody who, who you can get to believe on it. You're going to load all these animals on it. And then I'm going to cause it to rain all over the face of the earth. And I'm going to cause the earth to flood. The world was corrupt. And this, this, is, this is God putting out his justice. They're getting the, the, the punishment that they deserve. Then you have Lot. You've got Lot who, who's taken his portion of land. And in his portion of land is, a, is, is Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the town. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, they are absolutely... Corrupt. They've reached this point of corruption where it's where the word sodomy comes from and they're sexually perverse. And so here they're, they've, they've come to Lot. He's got these uh, sojourners who we know are angels in their house. And the, the in, inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah come and demand for these sojourners. And they're going to sodomize them. It's corrupt. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's evil what they're going to do. And so, God rains down fire and sulfur, and he destroys this town, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so that's our two pictures. It's this, the two pictures of God's judgment and his punishment. 
That's what you see in these two stories. It's God's judgment and his punishment. Now, we, we read those stories, and, and man, maybe it seems harsh. But I think if you look around, maybe it doesn't. If you look around for, for a second, you know, like look at the world around you. You ever heard, heard the, the, the term going to hell in a handbasket? Right? I don't even know where that came from. Somebody will tell me later. Uh, but, but we like look around and we're like, man, this is a corrupt place that we live. You, if you pay much attention to the news and, and you see things and you're quickly to go, they deserve judgment. And we cast judgment. And we go, they deserve the wrath of God. We can clearly see it. I don't know if y'all saw in the news yesterday that there are some government employees who were at the, at the U.S. Capitol in, in D.C. that uh, two men had sex inside of one of the rooms in which our country makes law. And they videoed it. And the video got released yesterday. The guys who work for senators. I mean, you think about that. Can you imagine where, where our Congress and Senate make law? Somebody like defiling that rule. And that's the rule. That's the, that's the room. And you think about the, what, what the brokenness of our world. We can easily like look around and see the, different, the, the corruption in, in the world around us. The corruption within government we can go man just just like the pharisees looking at the roman government going like we want justice brought down we want to see our kingdom raised and this kingdom go down so can we look around the world and see evil we can look at hamas we can we can look at a islamic terrorist we can look at different countries and see their corruption and we can go man we want justice to happen but i want to warn you friend you need to be able to look in the mirror and go, man, I'm, sin I'm a sinner too. I've fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the, here's the ways that I've sinned. Here's the way that, that my heart was wicked. You know, Jesus says there, I, I must first suffer many things and be rejected by this generation and it's easy for us to look back at the, the end of the Gospels, into the, the, into the story where Jesus is crucified, and see the people who are sitting there yelling, crucify him, crucify him, and look at them and go, man, they're horrible. They crucified our Savior without realizing that if you were there, there's a good chance that, that we as Gentiles would have been right there with the, with the Jewish people going, Crucify them, crucify them. We need to be able to look in the mirror and realize like, yeah, when Christ returns, his judgment and his punishment will be just, and I deserve justice. Here's the next big idea. Is that Christ's delay is an act of mercy and an opportunity for repentance. Every moment... Jesus tarries. You'll hear, that, you'll hear that term, Jesus tarries. Every moment that he delays his return is a moment of mercy. It's a moment of not getting the punishment we deserve. It's not getting the righteous hand of judgment given to us. You know, in those two stories, we see God's wrath, we see his justice, his justice but there were also elements of his mercy. Took Noah 120 years to build the ark. 
120 years that people would have come by, laughed at him, mocked him, but yet got to... They, they, they got to hear the promises of God. Hey, what? Hey, Noah, why are you building that ark? Because this is what's going to happen. After 120 years go by, Noah goes and he loads everything on the ark. His family is on the ark. It's built, and for seven days, God pauses. And he allows the unrighteous the opportunity to repent. And yet they don't. And then only after seven more days of mercy does he cause it to rain and flood the earth, bringing his wrath upon them. In, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, they had opportunities to repent. It wasn't as if they didn't have commands not to do the things that they were doing. But yet God sends these two sojourners... And he gives them yet of another opportunity to repent. And, and, and Lot has to beg them to stop. And they had the opportunity to, to stop. And when they don't stop then, after he's extended the hand of mercy, then he brings his hand of justice. And so, the delay is an act of mercy. Right now, we are living in the already not yet. We are living in God's hand of mercy. God could come right now and bring his righteous and good justice to the earth. And every moment he delays is an opportunity for people to repent. And when he gives us in this already not yet, he gives us what we know as the Great Commission is to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to tell people about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's, it's the opportunity to fulfill this commission that he's given us, this great commission to take the good news of the gospel to the very ends of the earth. It's, it's God's hand of mercy. And so today, as you sit here, and if today, if you're not a believer, today, if you're going, man, all this is hard to believe, Maybe in this moment, this is God's hand of mercy for you, that you get to hear this. You know, there's, there's a, ton of, a ton of scientists, a ton of people in the world who believe that there is a day and a moment where this world is going to end. That it can't be sustained forever. My son has a, a class in school called Natural Disasters, and he started making jokes. He'd come home uh, from school and he'd go, well, you want to hear how the world's going to end? I learned the world's going to end today. And he would hear, give me some scientific reason of how the world's going to end. And so if you're sitting here today going, man, this is, this is far-fetched that there's, a, that there's Jesus and he's going to return. Well, man, I'm going to tell you just as I am sure that he was raised to life on the third day. So do I believe the scriptures when they say he's going to return for his people. And you are going to want to be with Jesus at his return. Listen to this. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house... Not come down to take them away, and likewise let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Here's the next big idea. If you lose your life, you will save it. If you lose your life, you will save it. He, he, he gives these two. Uh, he, he's going to give four, but these first two stories you've got... 
uh, a lady who's on, or someone who's on the top of their house. That would have been very common, by the way, to be on top of your house, the cool of evening, the sun going down. That would have been the communal place to hang out. And at the return, it's like you look, oh, Jesus is coming. Oh, the war's about to start. It's the, it's the person who goes back to the house to try to grab their things who's going to lose their life. The one who keeps their life is the one who runs directly to Jesus. There's going to be the same, the same picture. There's likewise the one who's in the field, and rather than going home to try to get their stuff, does not turn back. And then he says it's this simple statement, remember Lot's wife. What did Lot's wife do? As, as they had to leave the unrighteous place of Sodom and Gomorrah, a place that, that was full of sinfulness and worldliness, she looks back because she's going to miss her home. She looks back trying to grab hold of the past. And what happens to her? But God in that moment turns her to salt. He includes her because her heart wasn't really repentant. She, she, she was not repenting. She was not righteous. And so here's what, here's what Jesus is saying to us. If you want to save your life, turn from the world. Repent of the things of the world and look to the things of the kingdom of God. You're no longer living for the kingdom of the world. You're living for the kingdom of God. You want to be a part of his heavenly kingdom. And how you do that, if you want to preserve your life, you will lose it. You will walk away from it. And you'll follow the ways of God. You'll live in God's kingdom. He says this, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. And one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women at the mill, grinding together, one will be taken and the other left. And so he's showing them, like, there's going to be some who are here who, at the second coming of Christ, who believe they're going to be taken and the others left. He's, he's showing there's going to be some who believe and are saved and some who don't believe and aren't saved. And so they say, where, Lord? As in, like, where is he going to take them? And where are the ones going to be left? And listen to his answer. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, this is kind of a curious statement, isn't it? Where, where, Lord? Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This comes from, this initial thought came from the end of Job. It was in Chapters 38 and 39. But in Revelation 19, we see John in his revelation give us yet another hint to this. Listen to this. We, we, read, uh, in, we read for a, a while, started in verse 11 to 16. Now this is in verse 17 in Revelation 19. This is after he's coming with this great big horse. This great white horse. And he's coming with a sword. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great." 
And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with its false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burnt with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. And so when he says this, where the corpse is, there the vultures were gathered. He is painting a picture of what happens in the end. What happens at the return of Christ. For those who do not have their faith and trust in Christ. Those who are left This picture, this uh, uh, apocalyptic writing that's meant to paint a picture. It's not literal, but it's meant to to paint a picture for what it's going to be like for those who don't repent and follow Jesus. It's going to be brutal. The vultures were going to have their fill of the people who refuse to repent. And so here's the, the last big idea that I leave you with. It is the one who is taken is the one whose faith is in Christ. I tell you that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. It is the one whose faith in Christ that is saved. It is by grace through faith that you are saved. It is not your own doing. It's not your works. It is a gift of God that no one would boast. On the last day, every man has a day appointed that he will die, that he will take his last breath. And the Bible teaches that at that last breath, you will meet your Creator. And if you happen to be here at the end of time, when Christ returns, this is going to happen in mass. And we will be judged. We will be judged for how we've lived our lives. And the bad news is that we all deserve God's justice. And because we are unrighteous, that means His wrath. The good news is that for those who have faith in Christ, God will look on them, and the blood of Christ that he shed for their sins will cover them, will atone for their sin, and he will look on them, and rather, not because they deserve it, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, for you trusted in Christ. And so today, In this season, as we think of the advent of Christ, I want you to make sure that your faith is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and not in your own works. Because those works that you have that you think are good are rubbish compared to those of Christ. So place your faith and trust in Christ and be saved today. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your word. And Lord, I long for your coming. I long, long to be in heaven with you. Just as he looked at the disciples and said, there's going to be a day where you desire to be with the Son of Man. Father, I desire to be with you. And Lord, I pray that those in this room with me would desire to be with you. 
As we read this passage, and it seems so much different than the world that we live in, maybe even so hard for us to understand, Father, may we understand this reality that you love us and you sent your son to die on the cross for us. And as scary as this passage seems, Father, that if we don't reject you, if we believe in you and we trust in you and we trust in your death, burial, and resurrection, that we can have a relationship with you and we can follow you and live with you in eternity. And so, Father, we ask that you'd move and work. We ask that you would do what only you can do. And at your name, that we would bow today, that we would confess that you are Lord. We would believe it in our heart and that you'd save. That when we'd be obedient, that we'd act on it. For those who've not shown the world or told the world, that they would, they would follow in baptism, that they would show the world that they're buried to their sin and they're raised to walk in a new way of life. For those in the room who, who have been, been saved, who've been baptized, that they would live out their faith telling others of your coming, the advent of Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.